Uh, we're going to continue our look at uh, the Psalms that we've been through uh, all this summer. And uh, so let's turn to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. Psalm 37 is, is a psalm of David. It's another one of those uh, acrostic psalms where in the Hebrew each line would begin with the successive letter in the alphabet. Obviously we lose that in English, but uh, it's much like Psalm 119. And uh, when you're looking at the different categories of psalms, this would be considered a wisdom psalm. And certainly as we read through it, uh, you'll see much, uh, a lot ties in with when you read Proverbs. You'll see even see some phrases that are very similar. And so uh, we'll read through it. And uh, our focus this morning in Psalm 37 picks up right where our worship left off. And we're going to talk about contending for contentment. Okay, so we're going to talk about contentment and look how we can uh, be content by looking ahead, looking up, looking out, seeing what we have, and seeing who has us. So that's kind of the outline of where we're going this morning, and uh, we'll read the whole chapter. It's 40 verses, but we'll read through it because we need to get the bigger picture of what we're doing here, and then uh, we'll jump around a bit after we have the big picture and, uh, and look at contentment. So Psalm 37, beginning in verse 1, says... Fret not yourself because of evildoers, be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act, he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace." The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draws the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked, for the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the day of the blameless. And their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine they have abundance. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. But those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young, and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so you shall dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice, he will not forsake his saints. 
They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart, his steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace, but transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for the wonderful things contained in it. We thank you how your spirit speaks to us through it. And uh, we just pray, Father, that you'd come now by your spirit, that you'd illuminate it for us, that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand what you want to say to us this morning. Come and meet with us. We want to be changed in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so it was a lot to take in there, 40 verses, and there's certainly some pretty uh, intense passages in there, Um, but we'll lay out a few things first about contentment about what we mean and what we don't mean, uh, so that we're all kind of starting on the same page. Um, So first, by by contentment, we're talking about uh, an internal peace or an internal rest that doesn't depend on changes in outward circumstances, okay? An inward peace that doesn't doesn't demand outward change for that peace to happen, okay? Okay. Um, contentment and, and, and satisfaction would be pretty synonymous. Uh, probably the best definition of what Christian contentment is, is found at the beginning of Psalm 23 that says, The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. So that's, that's what we're talking about when we're, when we're talking about contentment this morning. And also when we're talking about contentment, it's important to realize we're not talking about complacency. Okay, so if you're complacent or apathetic and you know your life isn't where it should be, but you don't really have any desire or ambition to change from that, I don't want to hear any amens this morning, okay, because that's not what we're talking about. So don't use my message on contentment to justify sitting in your basement eating Cheetos and playing Xbox when you should be out getting a job, okay? You with me? very silent. That's all right. Maybe I struck a nerve. So complacent is all about your work or lack thereof. Contentment is all about putting your trust in God's work. Okay? Complacent is all about your work. Contentment is all about God's work. So that's what contentment is. Uh, But why do we see so little of it when we're talking about Christian virtues, contentment is probably one of the rarest. Uh, A guy named Jeremiah Burroughs about 400 years ago wrote a book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And so what he saw as 
as a rare, precious thing, hard to find, is still the same today, and maybe even more so, uh, because of a few things. First, uh, we live in a world that is bent on making us discontent. The world that we live in breeds discontent. It's the main thrust behind all marketing and advertising. When we watch TV, we're told that we're discontent in our relationships because we're not spraying ourselves with acts. We're discontent with our social life because we're not driving a Lexus. We're discontent with our athletic performance because we're not drinking Gatorade. And and on and on it goes. And when we go on the internet, we're discontent with our life because we haven't been eating this weird, one weird little fruit that will change your whole life. Or we're discontent with our skin because we haven't found this weird $5 trick that some local mom has discovered who apparently is hated by many dermatologists. <laughs> she must be a very nasty woman, but it has nice skin. <clears throat> If we just had more things, more money, less wrinkles, tighter abs, more hair, nice clothes, if we just looked better, smiled whiter, had a better job, took better vacations, had fewer troubles, if our basement was finished, if we had a second bathroom, if we had a garage, a pool, more education, more friends, then we would finally be happy, then we would finally be satisfied, then the noise would be quieted, the uneasiness would be eased, the discontent would give way for the content. But the problem isn't really with media. The problem isn't outside of us at all. The problem with our discontent is ultimately our sinful heart. Adam and Eve had paradise. They had everything given to them, but they were discontent. They weren't content with what the Lord had given them. And... Ever since then, history has been ripe with discontent from emperors always wanting to conquer and expand their empire to Donald Trump always looking for another dollar to your children flailing on the floor of Walmart. Discontent is everywhere. There's a a Verizon ad out right now that says, nobody ever stomped their foot for less because all we really want is more. And our natural bend is to say, I want more, not I have enough. And there are probably very few of us this morning who do not want something other than what we have. It doesn't matter if we're rich or poor, married, single, bad job, good job, we want something more. What we have doesn't seem very good to us, and we imagine that our life would be much better if we had the lot of someone else. We are often discontented in most areas of our lives with the disease of discontent affecting our jobs, our marriages, and even our church. And we'll see in Psalm 37 that as Christians, this content can be amplified when as we seek to follow God and live righteously, we see wicked men prospering. It's certainly a theme that David comes back to over and over again in this In this psalm, if you look at verse 7, it says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. So we see those who mock God, those who practice evil. 
We see them growing in riches, growing in success, gaining all the things that we feel we deserve. The jerk in your office is promoted over you. Your neighbor who could care less about the gospel seems to have everything fall in his lap. And we grow discontent. The discontent we already had is amplified when we see the wicked prospering and we can shake our fist at the sky and say, I'm trying to do right here and why can't I get a break? Why does my car always break down? Why isn't my house selling? Why not this? Why not that? You know, if I wasn't tithing, I could afford the monthly payments to get a new car. If I wasn't so involved in church, I could have worked harder and got that promotion. Why can't you give me a little something? Because I'm certainly giving you a whole lot. When we look at the world around us with being bombarded with messages that we need this or that to be happy, seeing how natural it is, the natural bend in our sinful heart to be discontent, and then that being amplified when we think that us seeking God and following God should give us those things, it's easy to think that the prospect of ever being content is at least far off, if not unattainable. It seems we're bound to live a life filled with worry and greed and unrest and frustration and dissatisfaction. But the Bible tells us that contentment is possible, that it is something we can attain. Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 11, that he had learned that in whatever situation he was in, to be content. And in fact, not only is it possible... It's actually a command from the Bible. It's something that we must attain. Hebrews 13 says very simply, be content with what you have. So let's get to the heart of it. If contentment is something to be pursued, something to be learned, as Paul says in Philippians 4, then how do we do it? How do we contend for contentment? How do we fight back against all the pressure that seems to just want us to live in discontent. And as I said, we'll look at at five things. We'll look at looking ahead, looking up, looking out, and seeing what we have, and seeing who has us. So first, oftentimes we're not content because we keep a very short view of life. We become very nearsighted, just looking at the situation as it stands now. But we find contentment by not looking just at, at the here and now, but by looking at, with an eternal perspective, by looking ahead. And we see that right on the get-go. Uh, verses 1 and 2 says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. The Bible is always lifting our eyes to look past our present circumstances. It's always calling us to look ahead. And Psalm 37 does a great job at reminding us there will be an end to all of this. No matter how well off someone is, no matter how much they gain, no matter what someone may enjoy here on earth, we are ultimately all mortals living under a sovereign God. The rich and the poor will all die. 
the guy with four cars and an underground pool will die. The wicked who seem to enjoy so much prosperity will as well. And when we keep the end in sight, we have nothing to be envious of. There is nothing to cause us discontent with what we have. The wicked may prosper, but their success is but a flash. And Psalm 37 shows us what a quick flash it is. When I read through, you probably noticed some very vivid descriptions of what the wicked have to look forward to, the greatest of which is being cut off from the presence of God. But it's those who wait on the Lord who shall inherit the land. It is the meek who will delight themselves in abundant peace. Verse 11, those who keep the way of the Lord will be exalted. Verse 34, the man of peace has a future. Verse 37, contentment comes not from focusing on what we have for a moment in time, but what we have that is for eternity. If we could chart our lives, if we could chart our lives on our time on this earth would be just a pinpoint at the first of a line that goes on forever. If you could chart your life out and we could look at it, your time on earth would just be the pinpoint here in a line that goes on forever. And discontentment comes by putting a lot of focus over here on this pinpoint and ignoring the line that goes on forever. It's kind of it's like this. Picture yourself, you're an orphan, you live in a shack, just terrible place, you've got nothing good going for you, okay? The letter comes, the king has adopted you, you are now his child, you're going to live with him in the palace, you're going to enjoy pleasures that you've never known, it's going to last your whole life. The servant comes in the car to pick you up, it's a at most two minute drive, to the palace. How discontent are you going to be over the mode of transportation that you're taking to that palace? Who cares if it's a Rolls-Royce or a Honda Civic? It's two minutes and then your lifetime in the palace. You probably won't even notice what car it is. And how envious will you be as you drive in the Honda Civic when you see the guy beside you in the Cadillac? Who cares? It's eternity in the palace, in a God whose love you will never comprehend with pleasures forever, where there's fullness of joy forever. Don't focus on the pinpoint. Get your eyes on the line that goes on forever. Our discontent grows from spending so much time focusing on the quality of our journey and so little time thinking about the excellence of our destination. Second, to wage war against our discontent, we need to not only look ahead, we need to look up. In verse 4, David tells us, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. If our focus is in our all on our lack and our neighbor's prosperity, we will find very little contentment. If our eyes mainly look at what we have or what we don't have, 
If our joy comes from getting more of what we desire or having less of what we don't desire, we will never be content. The reason you don't have contentment in the things of the world is not that you don't have enough of them. It's that those things were never made to bring you contentment in the first place. You could pour water for days into a sackcloth and it will never fill because it wasn't made to hold liquid. It was made to hold solid. And you can pour all the things of the world into your heart, but it was never made to hold those things. It was made to hold God and it will only be filled by God. When we delight in the Lord... Then we can find contentment because the desires of our heart are met. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Which might seem like a dangerous promise to make. But the reality is that as we delight ourselves in God, we will desire good things. We will desire right things. We will desire things that give more glory to God. Most of all, as we delight ourselves in God, we will, de- we will desire more of God. Psalm, it's why Jesus can say, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. It's why he can say in John, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Because as we're seeking his kingdom, as we're abiding in him, as we're delighting ourselves in him, our desires change, our needs change. We now desire what he desires. Much of our discontent comes from our ungodly desires not being met. The things that we feel are must-haves that we do not possess. Psalm Psalm 73 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's the secret to a contented heart. A heart whose desire is singular. A heart that desires the thing it was made for. A heart that delights in the only thing that can fill it. A heart that desires the only guarantee in this life. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. Nothing else in life can make That promise. One of the biggest lies that we dump onto our children is that they can achieve anything they set their minds to, that they're able to do anything as long as they believe in themselves. And so we have scores and scores of kids who are all going to play in the NHL. They're all going to be actors and singers. They're all going to be prime ministers of Canada. And I'm all for dreams and goals and, and, and straining for those dreams and goals. But you will not achieve everything you set your mind to. Because there's no such guarantees in life. For every Sidney Crosby who worked hard and made it to the NHL, there's 10 other Sidney Crosbys who worked hard and blew their knee out in high school. There's no guarantees that we'll achieve those things. 
You can set your heart to have a contented life here on earth by becoming rich, famous, powerful, popular, living an easy life, and never reach it. Only one pursuit in life has a 100% guarantee, and that's seeking God. Jeremiah 29.13 says, If you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The promise of God when we seek God is the only guarantee in life. All our seeking for other things will only lead to discontent. Because even if you do reach your goal, it will never be enough. Contentment comes from delighting in God. In that verse in Philippians 4, Paul says he has learned to be content in whatever situation he was in. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then he ends with, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul had learned to be content in whatever situation he was in by having his focus not on his circumstances, but on the God who gave him strength in the midst of his circumstances. Paul learned contentment the same way that we learn it today, by delighting in the Lord, by having God as our portion. And so we need to not just look at our circumstances, we need to look up at the God who is over our circumstances. So our discontent comes from focusing on the immediate, so we need to look ahead to the eternal. Our discontent comes from wrong desires, so we need to delight in God, have our desires changed, have our desires line up with His desires. Thirdly, our discontent comes from focusing on ourselves instead of looking out for those around us. So we need to look out. The funny thing about discontent, about not being satisfied with how much we have, is that the more we try to get, the less content we'll actually be. The more we try to accumulate, the more we look out for number one, the less of contentment we will enjoy. If you look at verse 3 of Psalm 37, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Verse 21 says that the righteous is generous and gives. Verse 30 says the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and speaks justice. The path to contentment comes not from focusing on how we can fill up this need we feel we have. It comes from focusing on how we pour out ourselves for the good of others. But so often our discontent concerning our present circumstances causes us to avoid any service to others. We can become so unsatisfied with the state that we are in that we spend our days dreaming of scenarios where we would help others, but not actually helping others. Oh, if I won the lottery, how I would give. How generous I would be. I'll buy this ticket because if I won $1.5 million dollars, Watch out, I'm suddenly going to become the most generous person alive. If I just had a little more money, oh, how I would help people. And we create all the scenarios of all the things, all the wonderful things 
we would do. If I just had a little bigger house, man, would I be hospitable. Then I'd have it. If I just had a little bigger house, eh, about 28 by 40 now, if maybe if we built a wing on, man, would we be hospitable then. We'd have people over all the time, doing good. I'd really like to help this way and serve this way, but my health won't really let me do that, so I better not do anything. We need to be careful of our far-off dreams of service that depend on changes to our present state because the discontent will never go away. There will always be something there that we can be discontented with to avoid helping others. The path to contentment is not by focusing on our wants, but on the needs of others. So every time that we're generous and we give money away, we're cutting the cord that has the weight that says, to be content, you need more money. Every time we're giving of our time and helping others and doing good to others, we're cutting the cord that has the weight that says, you need more time for yourself. You deserve some good done to you. We come to contentment not by filling in the gaps in our present circumstances, but by serving others out of the circumstances we find ourselves in. So the question isn't, what would you do? What good would you do if you won a million dollars? The question is, what good can you do with the $47 you have in your bank account? It's not, how is this disease or illness holding you back from how you can help others? It's, how can you help others with this disease or illness that you find yourself in? in spite of it, or maybe even because of it. If you look at verse 21, it says, The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. This, the, it's not a description that we'd normally think of for a wicked man, but this guy, he's so discontented, he's greedy, he loves his money, and he wants things wants things, so why spend money to get those things when I can just borrow things from my neighbor and not give them back? Then I've got my money and my things. And verse 21 says that he's a wicked, wicked man. So if you're now thinking about the handsaw hanging up in your shed, that's your neighbor's. The Spirit is speaking. Don't harden your heart. Maybe you've got a whole box full of tools you need to lug back to your neighbor's garage. We'll just go with that. But look at verse 23. Verse 23 says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. We can be generous and give and do good and pour ourselves out because we understand that as we delight in God, we can be content because our steps will be established by God. That even though we may fall, it's not talking about a spiritual fall there, it's talking about a material fall. Even though we fall on hard times, even though we suffer a material loss to ourselves, we will not be cast headlong. The Lord is there upholding us. That's what frees us to be generous and give of ourselves 
to others. And so don't let your present circumstances prevent you from doing good and giving to others. To have contentment, don't look in, look out for those around you. The fourth thing, when we're talking about contentment, is to see what we have, to get a proper perspective on what we do possess. Verse 16 says, Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of the wicked. If you have God and a little, the little that you have is better than a lot. There is no need to be discontented because prosperity, riches, more things, more money can be a great danger and a great burden to following God. Jesus said that it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. And 1 Timothy 6.10 says that even the love of money and the desire to be rich is a great snare, and many people have pierced themselves with many sorrows because of it. And Luke 12 says, To whom much is given, much will be required. Being rich isn't all that it's cracked up to be. The very thing you are desiring and so discontented about may be the thing that leads you away from the faith. At the same time, contentment doesn't come from having nothing in the same way it doesn't come from having anything. The popular uh, minimalist, simple living thing that's kind of out right now that says, you know, you know, you own a bunch of junk, stop being materialistic, you need to get rid of stuff, your kid's birthday presents should be homemade and consumable so you don't have more stuff, and all that thing, you need to get rid of everything except the essentials in your life, which apparently includes the laptop so you can blog about your simple living. The backlash to a life of more stuff is a life of less stuff. And although there's probably some value in being less materialistic, if you go back to Philippians 4, you'll see that Paul's contentment has nothing to do with how much he has or how little he has. He has learned to be content with need or abundance. It isn't about the amount of stuff we have, but how we view the stuff that we do have. Because contentment comes from seeing everything we have, whether it's a little or a lot, as a gift from God. James says that every good and perfect thing comes down from the Father of lights. It comes down from God. So who are we to say, it's not enough, I want more? 1 Corinthians 4.7 says, What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So every dollar in our pocket is an example of the grace of God in our lives. And we need to see ourselves as stewards of God's varied grace. Contentment doesn't come from gaining more or having less. Contentment comes from realizing that ultimately we own nothing. All that might come into our possession is from God And we're just stewards charged with the responsibility of managing it well. This is how Job was content. Through riches and poverty, through health and disease, through the birth and the death 
of his children. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So contentment comes by looking ahead at the quickness that this life will pass and the reward that is laid up for us. Contentment comes by looking up, delighting ourselves in God and having our desires changed. Contentment comes by looking out, not to our needs, but to the needs of others, being generous with what we do have. Contentment comes from seeing what all that we have as a gift from God. And lastly, contentment comes not just from seeing what we have, but from seeing who has us. And David ends Psalm 37 by bringing us back to our salvation. Verse 39 says, The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Our salvation is not dependent on our giving. It's not dependent on how much we have or how little we have or how generous we are with what we have. Salvation is from the Lord. He is our stronghold. When life goes up and when it goes down and we have every reason to be discontent, he is our helper, our deliverer. He is always there for us to run and take refuge in. So ultimately, our contentment comes from the cross. We can be content in this life because we've been united to God through Christ. If you flip over to Hebrews 13, Hebrews 13, don't change the slides, I'll just read it, but if you have a Bible, you can look at it. Hebrews 13, verse 5, in talking about this whole idea of contentment, says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. Hebrews 13.5 boils all this down and gives us one reason for contentment in this life. It gives us one foundation to stand on. It gives one final axe to the root of discontent. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We live in a world that is full of leaving and forsaking and separation and loss. Everything is marked by failure and death and separation except for the love of God towards his children. Romans 8.39 says, Nothing in all of creation is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So if we're not content this morning, there's one place we need to go to, and that's the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the only place you will find contentment. Because at the cross is the only place you will find something that will never leave you. It's the only place you will find something that will never fail you. It's the only place you will find something that will never forsake you. You might be experiencing discontent this morning because unforeseen bills or unexpected repairs have taken your money. He will never leave you or forsake you. You might be losing friends. Family might be moving away. There might be separation there. He will never leave you 
or forsake you. You might feel like you've been attacked, like you have enemies all around, that help is far off. He will never leave you or forsake you. Your health might be failing. You might even be coming to grips with the fact that you don't have much longer here in this life. He will never leave you or forsake you. Whatever loss we might experience, whatever reason we might have to live in discontent, we can find contentment by the promise that Jesus Christ will never leave us or forsake us. It is able to bear the weight of whatever is causing your discontent. Lean into the promise that he will never leave you or forsake you. As we saw in verse 24 in Psalm 37, you might feel like you're falling. You might feel like you're falling down. He says, he will never leave you or forsake you. His hand is there upholding you. Contentment is ultimately only possible by coming to the cross of Jesus Christ, by having refuge in your salvation through Jesus, by being joined to the love that you will never be separated from. The band can come back up. I just want to end uh, with one thing when we're talking about contentment. Because we shouldn't be content in everything. There's one thing that really we shouldn't have contentment in, and that's we shouldn't be content with a little faith, a little pursuit of God, a little power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need to be always striving, always wanting more. So some of you might be thinking, I'm so content with where, with where I'm at with God. I'm satisfied with my relationship with Him. But that should never be the case. When you go to the Bible, you see person after person after person who's filled with a dissatisfaction, like a, like a holy discontent for more of God. Moses cries out in Exodus 33, If I found favor in your sight, show me your ways that I may know you. Show me your glory. David says in Psalm 27, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after to dwell in the house of the Lord and to gaze upon His beauty forever. Hosea 6.3 says, Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. And even Paul, just before he talks about how he's learned contentment in Philippians 4, in Philippians 3, he says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Do you see the heart that these people have? They are not content with where they are at. They are continually thirsting for more of God. And as he fills them, they say, I want more. We thirst so that we can thirst for greater things of God. So yes, we need to contend for contentment. We need to learn the lesson like Paul did That whatever might be going on around us, no matter how our circumstances change, we can be content with this life, but we must never be content in our pursuit of God. We need 
to press on as our thirst of God is filled. We pray for a greater thirst. So basically, it comes down to this. This morning, where does your discontent lie? Does your discontent lie with the things of the world? More money, bigger house, don't have this, don't have that, don't have this. Or does your discontent lie with where you're at with God? Is the cry of your heart, I want more, or is it, I want more, Lord? I want more of you. Because we can chase after all the things of the world, and there is no guarantee that they will ever bring contentment. The only thing that will bring contentment in this life is having a discontent for God. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we want the cry of our heart to be that of David's, that one thing we seek is to dwell in your presence and to gaze upon your beauty. And so we just pray now that your spirit would come, that you'd speak to us, that you'd challenge us. We pray we would be uh, overwhelmed by the greater desire of delighting in you and delighting in your presence, because then... Our desires line up with you. You give us the desire of our heart, which is ultimately more of you. So we pray, Father, that you would fill us by your Spirit with the holy discontent, a greater thirst for you, that the things we've been thirsting after, the things we've been looking for contentment in, would fall away. We want to run to you. We're so thankful for our salvation in you. We thank you, Father, for your great love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.